This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. We are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTKA.com. And you know what we do on in the 9 o'clock hour on Thursdays. It is time for the MGO Blog Roundtable. Joining me is the Roundtable crew. Uh, the man who started it all at MGO Blog is with us. His name is Brian Cook. Brian, how are you this morning? I am not a candidate for the Michigan State job. <laughs> man, I got to tell you, uh, you talk about <laughs> delusions. Or delusional, or delusions of grandeur. I I thought Michigan State couldn't be uh, any any more delusional uh, than they have been in the past. And I give you this week where I heard names like Marcus Freeman, or Urban Meyer, Marcus Freeman, Josh Heupel was mentioned. Like Josh Heupel was going to leave Tennessee, right? <laughs> 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 I was like, man, wow, these people are out there. Craig Ross, how you doing this morning? I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. I think uh, Loch Ness Monster discovered today will be the new MSU coach. Less delusional than Marcus Freeman, I know that. So, and Seth, Seth Fisher, I know you have Michigan State friends. I do. I'm, so to- I'm like our resident Michigan State expert. I actually know these mm. people. I know where they're coming <laughs> from, and that's why I know that they are absolutely getting Urban mm. Meyer, who's going to just bring everybody back in. <laughs> I want this to happen. I know there's no way in the world, but I want yeah, it to happen. Gonna, <laughs> I want to our news. All right. It's going to be our news. Let's talk Michigan football. Let's talk Michigan okay. football. Okay. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which actually brings Urban Meyer into this story. What? Because before the game, fellas, he was standing on – he was pounding the table about how Michigan was in trouble in this game, Brian, because Michigan – he's had this narrative that their schedule is so terrible – that they are not going to be ready to play at the championship level. And this was going to be the first example of what he's been talking about because Nebraska has the top-break rush defense, and Michigan's not ready because they aren't ready for the 3-3-5, and they're going to go out there and play, and it's going to be a close game. And it wasn't close, Brian. Well, it was close for a couple minutes. One minute. <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't. It was a, a, a pretty comprehensive uh, dismantling of a run defense that I do think has some pieces. Like I went over this game by with a fine tooth comb, and I think their nose tackle is a legit player. And they run a ton of twists and stunts that were difficult for Michigan to pick up. And they still ground out what two hundred and fifty yards on the ground. So to do that without a long run, like they didn't rip off a fifty yard run, a sixty yard run in this game. That's that's really impressive. Especially with a new left tackle and you know, a, a team that I do think it has legit run defense. Like, I do think that that's for real. Now, it's not like 50 yards a game for real, but they're massively improved from last year. So to me, that was something that was revealing. 
Like, I think we learned something about Michigan in this game. Yeah, I saw, I've, I watched uh, Nebraska prior weeks and all of the, their prior game. And I was really impressed with their run defense. So uh, they're incredibly fast, incredibly quick to the ball. Uh, so I, I was a little surprised at how, how efficient Michigan was on the ground. I thought they could beat them through the air. I didn't think Michigan was going to lose this game, but I agree with Brian in that uh, the Michigan uh, run offense was, was quite good. The, uh, uh, and I don't know what Meyer's talking about. I mean, I, maybe he is sufficiently delusional to be the head coach at Michigan State. I mean, I guess that's possible. Well, I mean, you're on a preview show. You say you, you you're gonna you say some predictions wrong. You know, it's not a yeah. I don't think it's a huge deal. I think he was high. He was high. That's what. That's the excuse. He what? Was the, <laughs> yes, he was high. You know, they, doesn't he have like, like on medication? drugs? Yes, <laughs> like on that that heart medication drug that he takes. Oh, he's high on heart medication. Drug. Yeah. What? what okay. I don't know if you get he's some. It had to be some kind of excuse to explain how bad he was with that take. It was so bad. Seth, that you had, I mean, a guy who I really don't listen to as far as his commentary is concerned, Brady Quinn, kind of looking <laughs> over, was like, man, you sound stupid. Yeah, <laughs> let me I'm, let me I'm tell you what. Let me let me tell you why Urban Meyer got that wrong. Urban Meyer sometimes forgets that there's a passing game. He think like this, he just forgets that that part of the game is, is a part of it. And and Brian pointed out that Michigan's been throwing these dig routes, and like that's a very rare throw in college football because like there's so many people in the area right but Michigan can stretch you so far on the top because Roman Wilson's so fast right or Cornelius Johnson's so fast or you're just worried about Colson Loveland you gotta you gotta have your safety up top so they can stretch you really far that way and then their running game there's just you know the only way Nebraska could keep up is they could try to throw everybody at it right and that's how the 335 is supposed to work but if you do that you're leaving up all this space in the mid-range and Michigan's just killing people there well, I said last week, and you guys did too. I wasn't the only one. But when they added that read to the duo, it was a game changer. And J.J. didn't put one duo in this game, but you saw his impact. And not just on duos. I mean, the first run they ran was a counter that he pulled. And you saw the, the defensive end. He chased it all the way around. The next play they ran was a duo. And the edge guy is like, now he's paranoid <laughs> about J.J. Or the on the, the Khalil Mullings run, the edge guy is paranoid about J.J. And it's like, man, that wrinkle is just – I think it puts everything back on the table as far as Michigan's run game is concerned because the duo buster isn't busting anymore now that J.J. is a threat on the play. Yeah, and I, I think that the Michigan's done a really good job of establishing that early. So in both the last two games, they've had J.J. keep on the first drive. And then you can see for the rest of the game, defensive ends are like, does he have the ball or not? And it doesn't matter that he hasn't kept the ball except that one time. They still have to check it every time. And we saw that on the Mullings touchdown. And there are there were three or four other runs in this game where the hesitation from the unblocked defensive end was profitable for Michigan on the ground. And to be able to do that, I don't think J.J. even took a hit on his run. He got out of bounds, right? So you're able to convert a first down. You're able to not have your quarterback take a hit and you're able to improve your run game for the rest of the game. This was the thing that really drove me crazy about the first halves against Ohio State and TCU last year, is just putting that as an option once or twice in the first half gets you benefits for the whole rest of the game. And so not getting to that into the third quarter was a problem. 
it seems like it's a problem they've definitively fixed. I'm very happy about that. Yeah. yeah one thing also it's, is it's that I want to throw this to you, Craig. Brian, mm -hmm. I, I want to emphasize Brian just picked up on a great point, yeah. <laughs> a terrific point, because we were talking about in that TCU game, man, why aren't they getting outside? They finally do. And the play that got them outside against the 3-3-5 in that game was the, was the counter read. Was the first play, the first run play in this game, the counter read. Okay. It's like, so they didn't wait, to your point. They used the pass to help them here presently in this game, Craig. Yeah, I, I agree. The one, the one nice thing in, over the course of the game, too, was how aggressive uh, J.J. was in carrying out the fake when he gave the ball. So he never lottie dotted. I mean, whether whether he was a give or not, he he was running it the exact same way. So I, I thought that was impressive because if you watch other read option teams, that's not always the case. But he, uh, when he handed it off, he was still carrying out carrying out his you know the uh, keep uh, uh, action. And I thought feel like that helps a lot in on the construction of the play. There's definitely an art to that. I mean, I, yeah. I always compare it to kind of like a basketball game out there. You know, like where you're the point guard and you're going to have to, you're trying to, you know, you're locking eyes with a guy. You're trying to figure out which way he wants to go. And you're going to decide which way you're going to go. And you're trying to get around him, right? You're trying to beat him out in the lane. And JJ is, the more you practice that, the more you're going to just realize even, it's not where the defensive the, that end is. It's not where that guy really stands. It's, where his momentum is, where his like, where his weight is, which foot has the weight, where is he trying to jump to, and the way teams have been playing Michigan is a lot of times they just bring a guy in from that side, maybe even a safety coming all the way in from the side, but you got to watch his angle, see where he's going, and JJ got him a couple times. I think on that first read was one example where he actually physically was outside, but JJ could tell he's going inside, and it's just like that, you know, like just like a point guard. You see the guy's momentum going the wrong way or is shifting the wrong way, get him on the yeah. wrong foot and you go. Well, this is something that I complained about with Shea Patterson a lot, where there would be a defensive end who is technically square to him but was clearly leading to the back and he wouldn't pull it. And last year we saw JJ do that several times where it's like, okay, this guy is technically squared up, but I know he's keying on quorum and I'm going to get outside. So I think just in terms of his ability to read these things, I think that's definitely something that is is an asset for him and the other thing it lets you do is michigan is running a lot of power by where they're pulling both backside guard and tackle which people will call gt and in the first game or i don't know the first time they ran it the backside defensive end almost got to donovan edwards like if he had been delayed at all that would have been a tackle for for no gain and now you're seeing Michigan run that play, and that backside end has to has to respect JJ, and so you get you get him blocked for free. And Michigan is actually starting to run some stuff off of that that I think is going to be really difficult to 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 defend. They run one power GT in this game, <clears throat> where the tight ends and a wide receiver flared out to the left, <laughs> and it, I was like, oh, because <laughs> if the defensive end doesn't check up. JJ keeps he's got a convoy to the end zone so you're seeing some things that I think uh, are leaking into the offense they're expanding it every week you know they don't want to show everything but they do want to keep increasing the, what what they're comfortable with and we saw our first RPO of the year I believe in we this did. game <laughs> we did and it was a hideously misread because he should have <laughs> given the ball <laughs> but I, you know you you understand why he threw it 
Yeah, but there, there was maybe some buyer's remorse because you're right. It was a split zone RPO. The split zone was it was a touchdown. Maybe. Oh a touchdown. my god. Yeah, yeah, it was. I was like, I know why you're throwing this because it's like an RPO. Like, all right, I got to make sure it's an RPO. But and he did that on uh, a couple of his early zone read opportunities this year too, because he was just like, all right, I got it. <laughs> I'm gonna mess this read up because I, I haven't been doing it. So I think as they incorporate more of that, those reads will get better. And uh, I'm I'm highly I mean, how could you not be highly encouraged about the state of the offense after some hiccups early? It feels like Michigan has solidified what they want to do on the offensive line. It feels like they're expanding the playbook. And one thing that was notable in this game is that even after McCarthy exited, they were feeding Donovan Edwards a heavy dose of inside runs. So he had 14 carries in this game up from six last week. And it looked like it was a concerted effort to kind of get him like contact ready, get him cutting inside, get him finding holes, get him back to where he was last year, where after Corin went out, he really got in a rhythm. And so I thought he looked much improved in this game. He didn't really get a whole lot of opportunities to hit the open field, but I thought he was more or less maximizing what was on offer, which was a big improvement from last week. Brian, how did you see Hen- how did uh, your you score out Henderson at left tackle? I mean, I saw some mistakes, but it yeah. also seemed more or less solid for most of the game. Yeah, I mean, so there were a couple of pass protection incidents. Mm-hmm. One of them, I the JJ rollout for the touchdown, I eventually decided was actually pretty bad from him. But there's another one. Uh, on an overthrow to Colston Loveland, where I think Quorum bumps into him mm-hmm. and, yeah. and prevents him from getting enough on on the defensive end to prevent him from hitting McCarthy. Other than that, he was solid in pass protection. As as a as a run blocker, I love his awareness. Like there have been a couple of incidents where Nebraska was twisting and he was able to to pick that up. Um, he's he's a good puller. There are some instances where he was bowled back. Um, in a way that I was kind of hoping wouldn't happen for a really experienced guard. But again, I do think Nebraska has a legitimate run defense and they have big boys on that defensive line. So you know, I think I think he'll be good. And I think he's still adapting. I think he's still learning. But for him to be where he is mentally right now, I think it's a really encouraging side. Yeah, you, you said something about Donovan getting those inside runs. I thought he was in his press conference really quite revealing because we talked about it before you got to know his his mentality man i mean he is a guy who looks for the big play sometimes at the expense of the sure play right now it worked last year a lot especially when he's in a rhythm uh you know blake's not available right you're even more in a rhythm uh because of that because you aren't splitting carries and so that that touchdown in the in the big 10 championship game is a perfect example but he said in the in his press conference this week, he said, "You know, the big plays will happen. You know, you you got to take the four or five. Eventually, the forty or fifty will come, just by virtue of sticking with the play design a little bit more. Don't always go looking for the big play. And that's a mental adjustment for for him. And it was, I thought it was pretty good to kind of hear him say that. Yeah, and I think it's especially relevant when you're on the same team as Blake Corum." Right, because he had six carries last week, and so of course he's going to try to hit a home run because he's like, okay, if I run for eighty yards, they're going to give me more carries. And the real the real thing he needs to do is run for six yards consistently, and then he's on the same plane as Quorum. So you know, I I feel like he he'll he'll get there. You know, I, what we saw from him last week is not the Donovan Edwards that I think we know we saw last year, and he 
didn't really have a lot of ability to have contact in fall camp, and then he's getting limited carries. And I think there was a concerted effort this week in practice and in the game plan to get him right. And I think we're seeing that happen. Yeah, and I think there's, even though we don't always see it, Seth, uh, result in a target, mm-hmm. you see new elements of him in the past. So the RPO was to him. I think that had, probably had something even to do with it. It was the read was. The big deal. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't they think were excited they to get run their first RPO in forever. Yeah, like, it was okay, their first RPO, and, and the guy that he yeah. was hitting was Donovan. I think that kind yeah. of played into it. They, yeah. they ran him on the Texas route as well. They yes. split him out a couple mm-hmm. times. Like you, you can see them doing different things on a weekly basis to involve him more in the passing game. They don't always show up in the targets, but it just feels like that's going to be a source of some big plays down the line. Yeah, I want to go back to that Texas route because that was a play where JJ hits Barner, right? And like, but Donovan Edwards threatens outside, comes back inside, and the linebacker on him is done, <laughs> over. And I want to see that more because I love that that little route. I want to see Michigan go back to that little screen they had where the center comes out and that's nothing else, and it's just the the Texas route, and then the linebacker gets blocked by the center. I want Donovan Edwards to run that. So I was really happy to see that as well. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, Michigan State's the game for that one because they're they're in, they've been running double A gap blitz again, which is just just a murder on that thing. Um, yeah. I also note like Blake Corn was out on that play too, and another thing I saw them do and they didn't end up uh, doing anything with it, uh, but they uh, brought out like a like a really heavy personnel like Max Bredesen's out there, and then they spread everybody out. Right. And like, you know, one guy can go with Bredesen, but like then you've got somebody on Loveland, then you got somebody on Quorum, then you got somebody on Edwards. And it's just like the the matchup problems that these guys create. And even on the RPO, Quorum was out there running around on that one, too. So like if you're trying to deal with, you know, all of these guys at the same time, it it's really stretching in different directions, especially with the way that you know, JJ's reads are stretching you with the way that Roman Wilson's stretching you downfield. This offense just has... They're figuring out ways to put their threats in different places on the field just to make hell on defense to figure out where am I going to cheat to. I feel like, Craig, we've been talking for a few years about, man, Roman Wilson. Get Roman Wilson the ball. Get Roman Wilson the ball. But look at Roman Wilson getting the ball. Yeah, the the first catch was one of the most remarkable catches I've seen in my life. We were uh, at the game and at that end zone, and – I figured it was going to be an incomplete pass. I was a little worried it was going to be an interception. And the next thing I know is they're they're signaling touchdown, and I had no idea how he caught the ball until I came back. We came back to Ann Arbor, and I I saw the the tape, and it's it's really one of the more remarkable catches of my lifetime. Certainly among Michigan catches, I can't recall one but yeah he's become a phenomenal player he's extremely fast his uh i'd never expected his hands to be as good as they have as they have are or have become so it it's really exciting but one question again brian for you i don't know if you charted this but michigan has a guy named number number 40 playing fullback beat them he had a pancake in this game and a lot of good blocks i mean i don't know who he's a quarterback transfer from illinois well he was a quarterback his first year at illinois he was a pow and then he transferred here and been a tight end since illinois actually moved to tight end at illinois Uh, but he he had a really impressive game i thought uh block blocking and uh and another number 40 a guy named boven 
did a nice job on uh, on the kick. He had a huge stick on a kickoff and another. It's actually, tackle. it's actually a, an ostentationally French pronunciation. Wavon. that like michigan football like they they put him out there is like can you explain this play because they do this every week and they're like yeah "Yeah, well let's give this little this guy some some love and so he's like please please pronounce your name and he he said that and then they go to the clip of benetti calling him uh yeah like for the first time ever i'm going to be more accurate about a pronunciation of a name than jason bonetti and to, <laughs> to be fair it's not like jason bonetti is like all right i gotta get to name number 74 on the travel roster and get this one right so well while we're on guys with numbers in the 40s uh max bredesen has been yeah. a Major difference on this offense. Maybe the best fullback Harbaugh's had here, I think. Uh, I'd say Siona Huma has an argument because he was also a runner. But as a blocker, I believe so. On our podcast, uh, I had to have you guys remind me of Kevin Dudley's name. Yes. Kevin Dudley was the best blocker. I can't believe you forgot about Kevin Dudley. He's like a... Well, I I didn't forget about Kevin Dudley, but like I... (laughs) Yeah, I forgot his name because it's been like ten years. Well, he had that game against Notre Dame where he he was just unbelievable uh, a few years back, and yeah, he was a fine blocker. Yeah, See, and- I, I agree with you bringing him up though, because you yeah. know Dudley or any of the other fullbacks that we talk about, you know, you talk about them being like pile driver, straight ahead, ISO, you know, being being that kind of blocker. You you see this uh, incarnation of the fullback or the move guy be different. Like you got to be able to yeah. come across the formation, mm-hmm. find work. Sometimes you aren't even blocking the guy at the line of scrimmage. You're going around him and find, find the work in the alley. And he is blocking guys consistently. Yes. Consistently. Yes. And I got to tell you, I mean, I love Ben bench Mason as a guy, but they, he had problems in space. This dude doesn't have problems in space. No, and that's a great point. His agility is really good for a guy his shape and size. And, I mean, you're exactly right. His intelligence is great on the, I call it a belly play, the the Mullings touchdown. He sees that he doesn't have anybody to the inside, so he flares out, picks off a corner, and that's that's it for the play. So, you know, I feel like he's probably the best fullback I've charted. um, And he's a redshirt sophomore. So we get a a lot more of Max Bredesen, and that's great. uh, Last week... Um, I was curious, so I looked up run blocking grades for tight ends on Pro Football Focus. Bredesen was number three nationally, and AJ Barner was number five. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, can you can you imagine being Jim Harbaugh and it's like, okay, we got Colston Loveland, that's great, but we've also got like two of the best blocking tight ends in the country, and I know that like, you know, Morris was just like, oh no. That's why why they can run duo, because you have tight ends that can do that can actually block. And how many teams have tight ends that can actually block? So because Michigan does and they have more than I mean, they got go four deep at the position. They're going to give you every version of a duo you ever you've ever seen. (laughs) They came out with a double wing duo from shotgun and hit it for a touchdown with the third string running back. Like, what do you want to do? Because we got you. Hey, That's because we have tight ends is what Michigan uh, speak, yeah. Speaking of the third string yes. running back, we got to talk about Kalel Mullen. Yes. We have to call, yes, we do. Because <laughs> like, that touchdown was probably his least impressive run of the day. 
because I think that he knew that he was going to be attacking backside and he's he's he shifts smoothly to that that gap, but then he just runs through an arm tackle. He regapped on a short yardage play uh, between a guard and a tackle on a play that was supposed to go upfield, got through a defensive end tackle, gained six yards. And I'm just like, that is a 240-pound dude. He is not supposed to have feet like that. Well, last week, Brian, you you said that you thought Michigan had something with Mullings with, you know, the, the data point caveat. But now what do you think? I mean, I'm thinking he's – the real deal is a running back from what I, I mean, I think he's the starter next year easily. That's what I think. Like, I mean, I think he can be a full-time college running back and a very good one. And yeah. we, go, I always go back to the fact that when Michigan was recruiting him, uh, the main competition was Wisconsin and Notre Dame, mm-hmm. who both wanted him to play running back. So if you're talking about like a Paul Christ Wisconsin team that's like, we want this guy to play running back. Okay, I'm that's I'm 90% of the way sold and given what we've seen from him the last two weeks, I'm, I'm on board. I think he's going to be a beast next year. Like Toby Gerhardt. Yeah. And you got to marvel at, I, I think I said this last week, maybe not on this show, but he had almost as rough a playoff game as JJ McCarthy. And that that's a recipe for a guy to go in the shell. And this dude just got better <laughs> and a lot better, a yeah. lot better. So well, he's, he got to be a full-time running back for this off season for the first time. And you add that into what he's already doing, given the fact that he was playing linebacker a lot. Like, I think he's still got upside to explore. So I'm, I'm. That's a huge development for next year. I just want to, yeah. I want to support right. him really quickly. That that was a fullback dive, which I've talked to fullbacks before who say you have to practice that play a gazillion times. And the handoff comes so fast that he fumbled on against TCU. Like that's, they should not have called that play for him at that point. That that play is. You, oh, you I agree. Rep they shouldn't have called the Philly special either. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that, I, I agree. Bad yeah. calls. Yeah. I'm not saying those are the not, right calls. I'm not going to like put that on like the the great Mullings file of like things that you have to remember about him. That was a like, bad situation for him. Mentally, for him though, you could see how that could put you in a hole, yeah. and it didn't put him in a hole. So I give that dude a lot of credit for getting up off the mat. I don't I don't blame JJ for the, the second interception. Or, yeah, the second pick six. I don't blame him for that, but he threw it. Mm-hmm. And you gotta you gotta recover from it, right? So one of those things. We need to talk some defense. We'll do that on the other side. Stay tuned. More MGO Blog Roundtable here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK the ticket. Clear on the radio. Yeah, man. There was a, another Mullings run where he got a linebacker totally unblocked to him and just obliterated him. I know. I know. That I'm, hurt. I, I was just like, <laughs> let's go. Now the yeah, the short can't. yardage one is the one that I that stuck out to me because like I you've seen that dive so many times from right? Like they're so, all they were all short yardage, you gotta specify. Okay, yeah. The the one you were talking about earlier where he gets six yards. Because you've seen oh, that yeah. dive so many times, and then like it's just a shuttle a subtle shift with his feet. And all of a sudden, he's, you know. He's in another gap. Yeah. And he, I just, I was like, I can't believe this guy is 240 pounds and hasn't been a full-time running back. I was mm-hmm. just like. Yeah. Oh, Brandon Miner. I didn't think of Brandon Miner. I think he's more agile than Brandon Miner. I do, too. <laughs> I think his feet are better than Brandon's. I think Brandon is probably faster in the straight line. Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know. Mullings can get going. Like, I, don't, I mean, shh. Yeah, he. Yeah, that was the one thing he could do as a linebacker is he could zip. Yeah, he can. I I don't know. Brandon was pretty fast. Yeah, he was. But, I mean, I, I think Mullings, his contact balance is also pretty good. And mm. Miner was, I guess Miner was pretty. Uh, yeah, Miner's a good comp. 
I think he's better though. I mean, we got to gotta see Mullings like carry a couple guys. Like you know, if he wears a Minnesota player as a cape this week, then we can. Well, start he talking. he he consistently gets into those rugby scrums where it's just like I'm gonna stay up for until my offense alignment can start pushing me, and then he gains another four yards. Like, yeah, I mean, if next year's offensive line is anywhere near as proficient at, at duo type stuff as this one is, mm-hmm. like you had you had that to the equation, and it's just gonna be real tough for for teams to not give up five yards a pop along those lines is are they can they redshirt is raheem anderson is that what's going on is he going to come back i loved raheem in the spring game yeah i mean was, i thought he was a monster a lot. they or, talked about him a lot in the offseason a okay. lot but you know you know what i in retrospect what i think that had to do with was mm-hmm. you know drake nugent didn't really practice yeah like once once drake nugent started practicing in fall camp they were like oh, <laughs> this this yeah. dude is he's Olu all over again. So you know. Well, I one interesting thing that I saw is that they had Gentry playing left tackle mm-hmm. late in this game, and before he's been at guard, I actually misattributed some of this because seventy nine. I was like, oh, that's Gentry. It's actually Percy who's playing guard. Mm-hmm. So to me, that says that Gentry is next up at left tackle next year, which is that's huge. And, they said uh, they said with him coming in, they had to teach him. How he he had never passed that before. I mean, <laughs> wait, you know, what? Like, yeah, that 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 was what was said to me. You know, he's never passed that before. Now, he it's not like he literally never passed that, but he didn't do it a lot. Right. So they had to teach him to pass pass block. So might Raheem move over to guard with and he play him with El Hadi at. at- uh, and, and, and put Crippen in the middle. I mean, that's not a and bad Crippen line. at the middle. That's I that wonder. would be my guess because, like, yeah. I thought. They move Atterbury, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, to me, I'm like, all right, that feels like they they're coming back in about ten seconds, guys. Anderson at guard for next year. Yeah, so who knows? We don't know, but it seems like lot logical. Yep. Talk defense, Brian Cook. What did you make of the Wolverines' defensive effort against the Cornhuskers? Well, I I named Chris Jenkins my number one trusted friend and uh, known agent of the week, even though he only had two tackles. Because I looked at the game and I was like, this guy's never blocked. I said Seth would probably come up with one ex- a couple, some examples, counterexamples. He's like, he got blocked once, once in the first once, half. <laughs> once, and it was like on the a play that didn't matter with that QB draw where like he's he's going upfield and he thinks he's going to get a sack and then all of a sudden the tackle turns around on him and they get to run. Like, congratulations. You blocked you know Chris Jenkins one time at the end of the half on a drive that wasn't getting anywhere. He was, yeah. he's just unblockable. And like they, they ran away from him with, as much as they could. When they tried to run at him, they one of them was an option on him that he blows up because he just figures out what's happening and gets over. There's not that many snaps. So, like, when I went and go tally it up, like, my numbers were not super high. But then you look, and they're doing it on, like, 20 snaps. And you're like, in a normal game, this would have been, like, a Aiden Hutchinson, Brandon Graham level of play. And I, I want to – you have to keep in mind that Nebraska's offensive line is not very good. And – at one point, like we thought they were destroying this guy, uh, Kirk Corcoran, who is the worst, literally the worst oh. offensive tackle in the country, according to Pro Football Focus. And, pass protect. And pass protection. Yeah. And then he goes out. So a couple of the sacks that they had, and then like Jalen Harrell should have been sacked when it was, he was just getting held, held to death. Like all of those were against Turner Corcoran's backup. So it was like, oh, yeah. So I, they're, you're gonna have That's to a terrifying concept. Yeah, you're gonna have to get, the guy who who can't beat out Turner Corker in for a job. I think yeah. the guy was a true freshman. So you have to like you know give the discount. 
Uh, one guy you don't have to give the discount to because he was doing it on the other side and like the, the speed that he gets off with. Derek Moore is yeah. really rounding into a star. Um, he he's got that dip where the, you know, that's that's the difference, right? Like you can't make that up. If you can get your shoulder low, there's really no way for them to get a purchase on you, and you can get around the offensive tackle. And the other guy wasn't that good. He wasn't Corcoran, and he's he's okay. Yeah. Like yeah. he's like, yeah. he's decent. Yeah, and Bryce Benhart and the the sack he had was like teach tape for dipping around the corner. Mm-hmm. And at his size, with his recruiting profile, you just need to start seeing that periodically, and then you start seeing it consistently, and then you have David Ojabo. Yeah, and you got those long arms too. So like he gets around, even if he misses, he can really mess up the quarterback. It's like he doesn't have to be that close to the quarterback to get his hand on the football. Yeah. If yeah, there's I, a concern coming out of this game, isn't it in the secondary? I mean, you've had yeah. you've had Will Johnson hurt, you've had Rod Moore hurt. Now it looks like Sandra still might not be a hundred percent either. And I mean, are you guys concerned a bit about about the secondary at this point? Yeah, you have to be, right? Like, right. you know, we saw the pass where Quentin Johnson got a PBU on a, a batted ball at the line. I think Johnson got toasted on that and that was going to be a catch and run after that mm-hmm. and you know a couple of the other slants and stuff i thought were defensive ends dropping into bad windows but seth's the one who chartered it so i don't yeah. know if that's a yeah no i we just, i kind of wondered because i we, we'd watched a bunch of nebraska beforehand nebraska was hitting wait wait control. sam was going to say something that confirms or disconfirms our suspicions okay go yeah, ahead that, Sam. That, that, yeah. that's that's exactly right uh okay. you had a couple of defensive ends who as far as being edge droppers are green uh both Derek moore and mm-hmm. josiah stewart struggled in that area and uh, you know i think that if you if it's braden mcgregor or or uh Jalen harrell if it's one of those guys who we've seen uh show up and cut co- flashing coverage i mean you think about the ohio state game alone both of those guys uh as edge droppers were outstanding well that's something that they got to bring these two guys up to speed uh, and so I, I felt kind of like, and I talked to Vance about it, it felt kind of like they were experimenting with that. Like, we got to work on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got to work on our edge drops, right? And, you know, you saw where that work needs to come. And then as far as the secondary is concerned, you can see the coaches kind of acknowledging that they need some work there. Because think about late in the game, on that long touchdown run, they had they had the secondary starters in the secondary mm-hmm. out there. Rod Moore was out there. Josh Wallace was out there. That's a sign that, okay, we need some reps. Yeah, in, in yeah. the secondary, they so. were they were tr- doing some weird things with nickel. They had Rod Moore playing nickel. I didn't have any negatives for Rod Moore in this game. Actually, they, I didn't have very much play for him. He was just kind of off screen most of the time. But well, Seth, the after the game, Harbaugh said that Sanders still was hurt. Yeah, yeah. so that so, would explain why they're hey, they've got contingency plans at nickel. Yeah, but they were working their different. They were trying different contingency plans. Is what I was saying. So Rod yeah. Moore is the first one um, who had a couple plays i they were just like plus ones for our charting they weren't like you know you need to see this but they were the kind of things that peppers was doing in 2016 where he hangs back waits till they declare what they're doing and uses his speed to get to the spot and one time he beats a polling guard and actually stalemates that guy another time he just uh they're they're gonna try to option him and he just waits for the guy to go by the blocker to go by him and then he destroys a jet sweep so or uh, an end around um so Moore looked fine. I think that he could play that position if they need him to do it. Wallace, they tried in there a whole bunch. Definitely not Saint Still in that position. Saint Still in that position. 
And then on the last, on the big touchdown, I didn't think Moore was at fault at all. The reason why he ends up on screen is he's covering a slot receiver on the other side of the field. And then he's just the only other person. And he's the only one who made up any ground on that guy. And then I looked the guy up and apparently he's that Baylor transfer they had who was just like 100% speed. That's the only thing they talk about. And he's like the, the Jackson Hallam of the uh, of football. He, so <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah, I wasn't mentioning Rod as being at fault. I was mentioning that he's on the field. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. they're yeah. up. They're up forty-five to nothing. Yeah. Right. And he's still he's still on the field. Josh Wallace is still on the field that late in the game when the offensive guys, all the starters are on the bench. Yeah. Well, that, right. that play was mostly Trey Pierce, who's a true freshman defensive tackle. And I well, think he was doubled on that, wasn't that's, he? That's, that's, I mean, it's not really a, a I just think Nebraska's like, line strength. were just like they got beat up by like they're like they're spending all day against Chris Jenkins and, and Kenneth Grant and like, you know. They're, Benny is destroying them. He had one of his best games, and they finally get a chance to block someone, and they just took him for a ride. <laughs> well, to to Sam's point, it kind of felt like those Rod Moore snaps were the equivalent of the Donovan Edwards carries late in the game, mm-hmm. where it's like we just we know this guy can play, but he's been out in fall camp. He's a little rusty. Let's get him some live fire snaps. Yeah, Will Johnson was the one I was a little bit more concerned about because you know we talked about the slant on him, the. Uh, the deep, you know, it was, you can call it a dig or a post. It was kind of in between where he wasn't that more was on, on. I it, think that's more on Sab, It's on right? Sab, but Sab, I mean, at that point you're up 28, nothing and you're just kind of playing. I, I understand why Sab would rather give up the catch than possibly let the guy behind him. I still gave him minus two on it, but Will Johnson, he's supposed to be in that guy's pocket and he's just nowhere near him. And like, you, you have to at least be close enough to like have an attempt to tackle. And then he's just trying to knock the ball out. And it was, it, it probably had more to do with the time of the game and, and the state of the game at that point. But I'm, I'm waiting for Will Johnson to give us the star things and you're not seeing it yet. Yeah. That's why these, these next four games four before Penn state <laughs> are, are not, I mean, as, as much as they look, they are like, you know, you know, slabs of meat <laughs> to, to be grilled yeah. by Michigan. Uh, it, it, these are important games for for some of the guys who clearly are trying to get on track. Whether you're talking about Donovan, uh, you're talking about guys in the secondary who missed who missed the early part of the season. They need to, this is their preseason. The other guys had their preseason already. This is their preseason now to get them on track. So when you get to Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State, those guys are ready to play the form. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I and, mean, Maryland, uh, Minnesota's got a receiver, so. You know they're gonna you're gonna have to show up today, and we'll see. You know, maybe maybe that's what Will needed. He may he needs somebody he can point to and be like, okay, you're on this guy. Let's go get him. That's a good segue. Tell me about the Gophers guys, because I think they I, they are not as good as I expected them to be so far. <laughs> no, I mean they did have that game against Nebraska where they couldn't run the ball at all, and then Darius Taylor, I believe is his name, is a freshman actually from from Michigan, mm-hmm. kind of gets that Mike Hart. Thing where in game two he immediately it's like okay this is our starter now and their ground game improves massively so at the beginning of the season I thought they'd really lost their identity turns out that's not the case but you know Calic Manis is really just not quite at the level that they need and their defense which has been very good the past few seasons um, seems to be lacking a playmaker or two yeah I mean yeah offensively Go they've got uh they got some major guard problems they've been Every time they try to take one guy out, the other guy is worse, and they put the other guy in. So they they're rotating between four guards right now. One of them, Tyler Cooper, is the only one who sticks around, and the other guys are whoever they put in is just getting murdered. Um, 
and it's kind of messing up everything they do because they have different skills, and so it's like, you know, are you going to put in the one that's going to get Calic Manic Tilt, or are you going to get put in the one that just cannot, you know, identify somebody to, to block? Uh, you know, the receiver, Daniel Jackson, I think anyone who watched that game against Nebraska recognized that guy. Um, you know, Flex always got a receiver, right? Uh, his 80-year-old Chris Ottman Bell is uh, injured, so we're not going <laughs> to see him again. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Span Ford's still around too. I can't, I can't believe that. That's insane. I know, I know. He, they have a bunch of guys. I thought about remember I, on the chart one time. I put all these white beards on Wisconsin because every one of them was a fifth-year senior. These guys are like sixth-year seniors. I think we charted uh, six, six years just on the offense. So they've got a lot of old guys in that team, and then defensively, they're. Uh, I don't know. Tyler Newbin's a, a dude, and they they lost some guys, and I think that they just not been able to replace them. So, uh, just stay away from number twenty seven. You'll be fine. Did you guys see any of their game against uh, Northwestern? I mean, all I know I is not. is they were way ahead and then lost in overtime, uh, which is pretty remarkable because I don't think Northwestern is is a particularly good team. The uh, statistically, from my small little single variable data check, which seems to work pretty well. Uh, they're a slightly below average team. Uh, Michigan is obviously way, way above average. So there's a, a pretty massive difference on the data between uh, between Minnesota and Michigan at this point. Uh, you know, I, the one thing about Nebraska, I, I, I kind of like Har- Harburg. I mean, I, he's a sophomore. I think he has some potential there going forward. Which, <laughs> they, they talked about coming out of there and needing to give Jeff Sims some more. Really? I, I thought yeah. Harburg played okay, really, given, given what he, you know, the problems he had in, in, in the Michigan defense. Um, you know, I kind of feel badly, and I'm sort of rooting for him. You know, I've, the last couple of years I've been to Purdue where the fans were ignored you, and that's fine. And Iowa, where they sort of ignore you, but they're very civil. And uh, Northwestern, where they're pretty okay. But this place is something else. It's the best fan base. I mean, the rest of the, the, rest of the Big Ten could learn from the Nebraska fans uh, how to treat other people. Because uh, that, that's the best fan base I've ever seen by far. It isn't even close. Uh, and uh, so it's hard. It's hard for me not to root for them, but I but I liked Harburg a bit. I think he's probably a better quarterback than what's his name, Kaliamakis. Um, but so, uh, anyway. well, what I, you know what I find surprising is how the bloom has fallen off the rose for PJ Fleck. I mean, he was the yeah. darling, one of the young darlings uh, in coaching, and now Mich- Minnesota fans are begging Michigan State to look at him. <laughs> and you look at Michigan State, you look at Michigan State list, and PJ Fleck isn't on him. Well. That's that's uh, <laughs> we'll get into that some other time. I mean, I don't if you're Minnesota, like PJ Fleck has given your program an identity, they've won a solid number of games, you're a consistent bowl team, and you're Minnesota, like, right? <laughs> realistically, this is as good as it gets. I've been saying the same I think thing. he's yeah. less fun to play for than people than, than he was billed as. The other, I, the other thing is just, is just weird to me that they have a uh, his offensive coordinator is Greg Harbo spelled exactly like Harbaugh. I didn't know you were allowed to do this, but apparently he's related to another Harbo who played for Michigan in like the 30s or 40s, 
who is also oh, completely really? not related to the Harbaugh's, but they still spell it the same way. <laughs> well, that's uh, I guess they can't play special teams plays together. Oh, and then <laughs> and then their defensive then their defensive coordinator is Joe Rossi, who wasn't the defensive coordinator for Rutgers in 2016. He was the defensive coordinator who built that Rutgers team under Chris Ash and then got fired from from Rutgers and he's been at Minnesota ever since. So that's uh they the coaching staff, and that's the point I wanted to get to, he's been kind of recruiting coaches because they come with players. And he got a couple guys from Western when he got uh, when he got Harbo back, um, who had been on the staff at Western Michigan. And he recruited Rosie years ago and, and got a player with him. And it seems to be kind of their MO that, like, anytime they get a guy, they're trying to get a transfer or something more than a coach. And the coaching feels like it's lacking on that team right now. Well, it just looks like going over their pro football focus grades that their defensive linemen are just guys. Like, there's not really a standout in terms of either pass rush or run defense. And the guys who seem to grade out the best are not starters, so you kind of feel like they're probably getting graded against backups late in games. So it feels like unless Minnesota overcommits to the to the run game, Michigan's going to run it down their throats. And then we've seen what JJ's able to do against teams that overcommit to the run game. So it doesn't seem like this is going to be the defense that slows Michigan down. Hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. So you you look around and fellas, um, I don't say this to be mean, but Iowa lost Kate McNamara for the season, and I don't think their chances of winning the West are any worse <laughs> because the West is that bad. The West is terrible. Watching that game, and so they're all still in it. Like Minnesota, as bad as I think they are, and Craig, I, I didn't watch the game, but we were following it. They were up by 21. They were up by three touchdowns heading into the fourth quarter and, and got beat. They gave up 21 fourth quarter points and lost in overtime. That That's Minnesota. And that team can still win the West. Iowa can still win the West. You know, all these teams can still Rutgers win the West. Rutgers can it win the West. <laughs> that was it my hot take. They, they, they could. They're, I mean, they're going to Wisconsin this week. If they beat Wisconsin, Rutgers is better than anybody in the West. The one thing I want to point out about Iowa is back Iowa backup quarterbacks are almost always better than the starter because Kirk Ferentz picks whoever's going to like throw the shortest, right? He's like, okay, throw to my tight ends <laughs> for three yards. And whoever's doing that gets the starting job. And then the backup is like the guy who like, who wants to go long, who wants to break the rules. So I don't know. Maybe Kate was not the answer for them after all. It feels like Wisconsin is pretty much a walk-in in the West, aren't they? I mean, is favorite. And if they lose, yeah. The yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're they're particularly good, but they do right. have Braylon Allen, which is one uh-huh. more Braylon Allen the rest of the division has. Right, I could have said it better myself. Right, they're they're the best of a bad bad bunch, and I just wonder as we look at, I don't know if I ask you guys, I get all the things mixed up. My point in bringing that up is with the Big Ten being as bad as it is, will there be? Is there a good shot of a one loss Big Ten team being in the playoff like? we saw happen last year or do you better win it and that's the only way you're getting in i really doubt it because this year you have real contenders in the acc and the big 12 and i'm sorry and the pac-12 yeah so you got texas and oklahoma probably one of those is going to make it i think it would be really hard at this point for the pac-12 not to get a representative and then florida state like i mean it could be a situation where you're leaving out an undefeated team. Now, it's probably not going to happen, but this isn't the year where a non-champion is likely to make the playoff. 
It's also possible you have five one-loss teams, in which case you're going to have, you know, quite a bit of angst. I mean, I... But if that's the case, then the one-loss teams that won their conferences will go. I think that's probably right. Michigan can afford to lose to Penn State and beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten Championship, and go to the... That that could happen. But, like... Or, I mean, if if you lose to Minnesota and, and then, like... You know, and yeah. run the table like that kind of thing would happen. But you got, but you yeah. got to win the league, right? That's yeah. that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think the, the, the winner of Michigan, Ohio, the loser of Michigan, Ohio State is probably not going to the playoffs this year. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that seems realistic, which will be a major change next year. Where you'll have twelve teams and teams right. with multiple losses, perhaps getting so, in. So in the two minutes left, fellas, I you know Ohio State, Maryland gave them a game last year. What do you make of that game this year? In Columbus. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, I want to say it's going to be a game, but I feel like if I do say that, I am dooming the Maryland Terrapins. So I'm going to say it's going to be 78 to nothing, Ohio State. <laughs> I mean, a little reverse. Maryland, yeah. if they, 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 they play, they'd be great on seven on seven. And it, it'll be interesting to see what happens against the Ohio State secondary. Cause okay, so one interesting yeah. thing is that one of the reasons Ohio State's defense has been very good this year is they are not allowing short yardage conversions on the ground, which is Maryland might not have to attempt. And also, Ohio State is 126 nationally at converting short yardage on the ground because they're oh. soft. And Maryland's probably going to be able to get them off the field if they don't give up super long touchdowns to Marvin Harrison Jr. So, yeah. like... Maybe seventy-eight to nothing was a little aggressive. Well, can 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 Roman Hemby do what Audrey Estime was doing to him? No, busting him, busting him up. Absolutely not. There's no way because <laughs> Notre Dame's offensive line is is uh, two other levels above Maryland's. But you know they have some pieces. It'll be a test. Yeah. All right, we got to get out of here. Another great round table. Folks, we'll see you tomorrow live from Grand Traverse Resort and Spa here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK and the Ticket, the official voice of the University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor, a cumulus station.